0: This is a mental podcast after many months of uh, silence. Finally, I'm back in business uh, because uh, last year I did the Edinburgh uh, Festival. Afterwards, I, I turned professional on comedy, so it was a lot of uh, try and error. Uh, to find my balance and uh, I'm very happy finally I'm back and uh, today I have a special guest uh, is uh, uh, Dave uh, we met each other uh, on Edinburgh Festival he's a very uh, funny comedian and uh, uh, he has some really interesting mental health stories as well so I'm very excited to introduce him so Dave you want to give yourself a little bit of in introduction to my audience
1: well thank you very much for having me on, I am a uh, professional idiot who uh, <laughs> tries to use comedy in order to talk about mental health and I suppose that's that's um, at least in part inspired by my own sort of history of mental ill health, but even that I think is kind of interesting, it, it, it's interesting isn't it, that like whenever we talk about mental health, Normally, we talk about mental illness rather than the actual health benefit.
0: Mm-hmm. A- and uh, for you, uh, I think it's very interesting that uh, last year at Edinburgh Fringe, you had a show called uh, uh, Mental. Uh, do you mm-hmm. want to give me a little bit of uh, brief what's the show about and how come you uh, have the idea to develop a show like this?
1: Yeah, well, I suppose like it, it's exactly off that point, like off the back of it, I, I always used to talk about mental illness. So I started developing anorexia when I was a teenager and I did a show about it. And the show that I wrote a couple of years ago and did in Edinburgh last year, Mental, was all about trying to talk about mental health rather than mental illness. Because the, the, the point is you know, you don't have to be unfit before you start going to the gym. Why do we always wait to become unwell before we start looking after our mental health? So it was one of those weird ones that it was like a show about a show. So it touched on the anorexia. It certainly focused on recovery and stuff that happened after that show. But it was a, an attempt I think to try and talk positively about mental health and try and use humor in order to equip people with actual coping mechanisms that they could use in their day to day lives.
0: And you talk about the anorexia. Uh, I think it's very interesting uh, for me because uh, I grew up in a very like, uh, patriarchy uh, society and the, uh, the beauty standards uh, for women is very, very homogeneous. Uh, AKA women needs to be always under 45 kilograms and uh, as uh, slim as possible. So um, because of this, I developed eating, binge eating disorder. Uh, when I was a teenager and uh, at that time I was uh, like uh, daydreaming my biggest wish in life is that oh I wish I'm so lucky I can develop anorexia and the- <laughs> I don't need to control anything anymore but I I, I really dream to get it <laughs> of course now I realize that's stupid um, so for you uh, I I. Normally, anorexia is a, is a condition I only heard a woman got it. So how come you as a, a teenager boy, you start to develop this condition and uh, um, when is your first time to realize, oh, this is an issue, I need to work on it?
1: Well, I I think that that's a really good question. To answer the first question, I mean, it was something, yeah, about 10 to 25% of anorexics are males. So I think it was certainly in the minority rather than the majority. And it was something that sort of started to develop rather than actually initially beginning. And it was loads of um, behaviors that started to get exacerbated, like weighing, calorie counting, exercising uh, body checking but the irony was for me the eating disorder was very little about food and i kind of realize that now with time and hindsight that like it actually wasn't about trying to look a certain way it was a distraction and in the same way that people use drink or drugs or perhaps other substances it was something that i used in order to numb myself and I think there were loads of things, especially when I was a teenager, that, you know, sort of was trying to numb myself from everything from exam stress all the way to um, puberty and like urges. And I didn't really know what to do with that. And then not feeling good enough, wanting to get a partner, scared of moving on, scared of failure, all of these kind of different things. And actually, the eating disorder, in a, in a weird way, was helpful because it dealt in hard facts it dealt in numbers it dealt in calories it dealt in weights it dealt in like how many steps you'd walked and I think that's a really uncomfortable thought not to glorify encourage or promote eating disorders at all for me it was something that in the short term in the same way that with alcohol and drugs you can enjoy it but then if you become dependent on that for your enjoyment of everything that's when you've got um, a problem so I didn't realize that I got a problem with my food until I was sort of four or five years into it and (laughs) even when I did realize I was kind of I suppose so deep in it then that it wasn't easy to give up because it was almost not a choice
0: And uh, what's the tipping point uh, when you realize, oh my god, this is a problem, I should uh, check into it?
1: You know what, like, that's, so I used to do a story about this, and like, the problem is, it's just not funny. Uh, And that's (laughs) why I had to like, you know what I mean? Like, I wish, it it, it would be great if you you see all of these comedians, and they always have a funny story. But the, the, the the realization moment wasn't really that exciting or funny it was quite mundane and i think that's where a lot of people's lives live like for me it was i got this job teaching english to international students at uh, a private school so it was just while i was studying at university you would go down to these private schools and you would teach english as a foreign language and i was teaching down in cornwall which is like the south uh, west of england and it's really remote and the nearest village was three miles away. There was no shop, and when I arrived, all the food that was put on was pizza, pasta, chips. There was no healthy option, there was no calorie count, there's nowhere to prepare your own food. And that was a tipping point for me because I realized the, I always thought I had a control on food. It was amazing how I realized that food had a control on me. So I started getting genuine nightmares about the meal times. I, I honestly had a nightmare about donuts, which is just just batshit crazy. <laughs> I started exercising in the middle of the night because I couldn't sleep. I started hiding food in my room, but that led to a rat infestation. So I started trying to avoid meals as much as possible. But then something that people don't commonly talk about with anorexia was I would binge and I would binge in front of of not only my fellow teachers, but also my students as well. And the real turning point for me, again, is incredibly mundane. But a a teacher came up to me and said, look, I've had bulimia three or four times. I find this a really tricky environment. Have you ever thought you might have anorexia? And that was honestly the first time someone asked me if I might have an eating disorder rather than telling me I did. And that was such a huge change for me
0: yeah, so uh, you mean uh, when people tell you you have eating disorder, you were like resisting the idea. But when people generally ask to ask you to explore this uh, possibility, is somehow it clicked, and you we are willing to look into this possibility
1: yeah absolutely i mean there's two things there. one is like generally eating disorders you know whenever you talk about them you talk about control and if we're going to talk about control then i think it's mental that we wouldn't put that control back in that person's court and ask them rather than tell them because people that were telling me that i had anorexia were yet again just taking more control away from me but I, I also think as well, um, I'll never forget a couple of years ago, I, you know, it was years ago now, when I, I yeah, it was Christmas time and I got boozed up and I fell over <laughs> and I, I, I fell on my hand and I got this like really like big gammy and it was all sort of like bruised on my hand. And I'll never forget my housemate went, mate, like I'd get that checked out. And I wish that people had talked to me about my mental health like that, instead of being mm-hmm. all melodramatic or like it was a soap opera. I wish okay. that people had asked me because you know what the truth of the matter is, I don't want to be too hoity-toity about it. But if if you started coughing and someone just went to you, I think that's cancer, you'd go, Who are you? Like what yeah. do you know? you're not a doctor, you don't know anything. But if someone said to you, that that cough sounds like my granddad's and he had cancer like i don't want to scare you but you you might want to get that checked out i think those are two very different approaches that will lead to two very different outcomes
0: yeah, I, I agree. Uh, so you talk about control. Uh, that's also what I read uh, from eating disorder books. Uh, so uh, for lots of people, they, they they don't fear they have that control in their life. Uh, so they, they cling into this, which they, they can control for themselves and uh, uh, create a sense of security. And uh, mm, may I ask, you don't have to answer just uh. uh see how comfortable you are may i ask uh now you're looking back when the eating disorder started uh w- were you in some type of environment you didn't fear in control that uh, uh slowly yeah, yeah. developed it
1: uh, yeah on on multiple fronts so i think firstly um Contrary to what a lot of people expect with mental health problems, I loved my childhood. I had, a, I had an incredible school, amazing mates, brilliant teachers, loving family. And then I got noticed by this girl and everything was perfect. And that was amazing. But that was also something that had a best before date. And that was something out of my control. And what was also out of my control was, do I focus on the here and now, on my friends, on my girlfriend, on my family, and enjoy the here and now to the detriment of my future? Or do I, can all of that, do I not see my girlfriend, do I stop going out with mates and getting boozed up and doing all those teenage things to try and bet on my future that hopefully I will have something as enjoyable in future. So there was that control that was out of my um, mind. I also think, um, ironically, when i started restricting my emotions were all over the place and they were out of control i also think as well my identity was really out of control as well something that i've always really struggled with like there seemed to me that a lot of my friends because they were so great they they, they seemed to have their own identity you would got the cool kid you've got the sporty kid you've got the geek you've got the jock you've got the and, and i didn't have Anything like that, and this sort of became my identity label. People did start like, "Oh, that's Dave. the anorexic," and that was just something that I had. It was my explanation. I also think in my in my personal life, you know, my mom and dad, there was quite a lot of food around the house, so that was also a control of like instead of nibbling on bits, I would just be like, "Bam! No, I'm going to control it. I'm not going to have." anything and i think one of the things that still being honest like, i think is so difficult is i think control in any aspect of any person's life is incredibly difficult to come by
0: cool wow uh i i it's a totally unexpected answer uh, you first said i had a great childhood i was like oh thank you already <laughs> did,
1: you, did you think did you think it was going to be because of a like a negative sort of stimulus and if you don't mind like asking,
0: most would, of people like, yeah
1: was that something that's quite kind of like for you if you don't want me asking was like a negative sort of stimuli
0: yeah like for me it's uh, uh that that's uh i i that's two solo shows maybe three solo shows away so uh i i, I think i don't want to uh talk too much uh, on this episode because uh i i talk so much on every other episode and also uh also my solo shows so basically i was uh, permanently in a very negative environment uh poverty discrimination and uh, uh physical mental abuse um so and also the worry uh, patriarchy society how they uh, subject women uh and uh, in order to become the type of for girl uh, the uh, the society uh, appreciates um, I I really tried to 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 control myself to not eat, not eat, and uh, uh back in China, like there's not much like uh, uh nutrition uh education, so uh we teenager girls were trying all kinds of diet. Now thinking back, it's not a diet. There are diet like a egg and apple diet. Basically, eat one apple and one egg per day. That's all you eat, and in fifteen days you will be slim. And now I'm like, this is suicide. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, I I think so. Most people I know have mental health issues are always from a very uh, somehow negative childhood. So this is the first time anyone opened the statement by I had a great, fantastic childhood.
1: A I, th- <laughs> I, I honestly think though that that um is a reality that we're not talking about for example is it Sweden or Finland that have been voted the happiest nation in the world but also have the highest suicide you know it it's actually quite um I honestly remember thinking when I was at university this is one of the things like this is kind of whizzing forward a couple of years but everyone used to say when you went to university they're going to be the best years of your life and I I don't know how helpful it is to tell someone that, because I remember, you know, waking up hungover on a Tuesday, surrounded by people that I'd just met in a place that I'd never been before, thinking, Christ, this, this is the best my life's ever going to get. The rest of my life's going to be bollocks, you know. And, and I think that there was, um, I think those binary and very clean sentiments. Uh, really can be quite damaging sometimes of like people thinking oh everything's downhill from here everything's uphill from here because the truth of the matter and the truth of life is that things are very rarely completely good and completely bad and I think I think that's that's something that I really struggled with. Of like, I was aware that there was this brilliant thing, but it was slipping away, and perhaps I would never get it back. And also, perhaps I might regret for the rest of my life that I don't get it back.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. And and uh, I have another question. So uh, when you were teaching English, you realized, oh, had uh, this epiphany. Okay, I I I might have a uh, uh, eating disorder and then from then uh, how did you treat the condition like how did you uh, take control in this situation
1: well I mean the, the honest and simple answer is I didn't because I think again it's a big problem facing mental health is what do you do where, where do you go? Who do you speak to? I mean, there's all of this bollocks about just talk. And you know what? If I could have just talked, I'd have sorted it out myself. I always say that for me, the eating disorder was a way to show with my body that there was something wrong with my brain. But I didn't know how you dealt with that. And all of the stories specifically about anorexia I felt were always the extreme cases there were always people that weighed less than a packet of crisps or there were always people who had a a sort of thorax that looked like a toast rack or were like minutes from death and that certainly wasn't me and I still certainly don't think I ever looked shockingly thin so I was like what what do I do with this you know I can't go to a GP because surely they'll laugh me out of the door and say like mate you are making something out of nothing or perhaps even worse they'll go like yeah you do have a problem but let's wait until it becomes a real problem and that make me feel like a fraud so yeah i, I did nothing about it and that uh, enabled the condition to become more exacerbated and that's the really tricky period that i find to explain because it would be easier for a narrative to say, then I, I went to a doctor and everything was perfect, but what actually happened was I I used it. So when I was doing well, so I, I left university and I moved to London and that bit was really, really fraught. I'd got finals, I've got move out days and I was restricting more and more and more and it wasn't even a conscious thing. It was just a a way to distract me from my own life. but then when I did move to London, and when I did get this incredible job with amazing people, being me was all right. So I kind of almost forgot about the restriction and I went out with mates and I got muffins at lunch and all of those kind of things. And then I put on a little bit of weight and someone highlighted to me like, oh, you put on weight. And that made me think about my body again. So it kind of went in and out, in and out, and I was very sort of wobbly and until I did go full-time in comedy and I think that brings a whole remit of stresses with it and again everything was perfect again everything was like this is what you've always dreamed of you are you know you are doing a job you love however with that comes a lot of comparison and I was spending my days waking up when everyone else was at work going to work when everyone else was socializing so it was incredibly isolating i was spending my days looking on facebook and seeing everyone doing seemingly better than me i'd spend times feeling like a fraud and the anorexia became a way to distract myself and it became a a passive suicide intent like i knew that anorexia has the highest mortality rate of any mental illness i knew that one person dies from anorexia every 62 minutes so i actually did <laughs> what uh, i i i laugh when you call the statistics well i just i knew all the stats and this is what kind of gets me is people use those to shock me and i was like yeah i i want to kill myself like what what do you what, like, uh, do you think that's gonna make me go, oh, okay, this thing is bad, oh. It's like it's like saying to someone who's like shooting up heroin, going, by the way, that's not good for your health. I don't think any heroin addict is gonna put down the crack pipe and go, seriously, I thought this was better than getting a Peloton. Oh my God, you know, it's, <laughs> y- you just, I-, I knew it was bad. I knew it was a problem, I knew I was killing myself. And that, at that point, was what I wanted.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I think it's interesting, like you said, okay, you uh, you start to going professional in you know, full time in comedy, and that's isolating because for average people, they always uh, glorify how a comedian lives. Oh, you are uh, crowded by all the fans, audience, like you are always socializing. But actually, it's a very isolating career. Yeah. Uh, I like because uh, uh, when people are having fun, you are working. And when you have time, everyone else is working, so it's very hard to make a uh, uh, social plans with people outside of comedy. And uh, lots of people we meet, uh, like uh, uh, talk with uh, at the comedy shows, uh, they they it's hard to build uh, like a uh, uh, very deep connections in this kind of situation.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's one of the reasons why. I actually don't generally refer to myself as a comedian because stand-up comedy is something you do, a comedian is something that you are and when I was younger and naive I would hear all these stories because you know like a lot of people I I got into stand-up comedy because I went to comedy and I loved it and I became a nerd of it, I became obsessed about it and and I remember watching you know stories of, of people like Uh, Russell Howard or Russell Kane or John Oliver all of these people that you you, they just made it sound like their day was constantly traipsing from one crazy story to the next whereas actually that's not true it is something that you do rather than something you are and I think I I don't mean this with any malice but actually like a lot of to to be honest most stand-up comics are some of the most depressed people mentally unwell people i know it is incredibly isolating.
0: yes yes uh, so you I, I was actually going to ask you uh how did you decide to do comedy and uh, when was uh, like the tipping point you were like okay this is my first time i'm going on stage
1: again even that's really difficult to explain because i'd always when i got into comedy i always wanted to do comedy in order to talk about things. So I got into it because when I was at university, there was this comedy club that ran every two weeks and they had just some amazing acts. I remember seeing people like uh, Rufus Hound, We, We saw people like Tom Crane. We saw people like, I think Hannah Gadsby did it once. All of these kind of like people before they were famous, obviously. But the thing that really got me and the thing that really stuck with me about the comedy is that people were using it as a way to cope because when you actually listen to all of these people they were actually saying really dark things about being broke about being single about being the, the least favorite child or not knowing what they wanted to do with their life but the fact that they were joking about it made it manageable and i was like that is amazing so I always wanted to write about comedy and I think even back then I was kind of like yeah it'd be lovely to write about this sort of anorexia and I started writing the show about the anorexia ironically at the same time that I had to go into hospital for the anorexia and and it was like fucking hell this is mental but like they kind of ran parallel and it was a really unique experience because i i did a show basically i kind of ramped up so i did a, a show with a brilliant comedian called robin perkins who is to this day one of my best mates and we did this two half hour show where i did half an hour about anorexia she did uh, half an hour about losing her um her partner when she was 29 and it was called over it death anorexia and other funny things and it was it was an amazing show to do but it meant that i i didn't go from nothing to doing an hour i kind of went from half an hour to doing 60 minutes and uh i kind of created a, a rod for my own back because even in that half hour talking about anorexia people would come up and sort of say oh you don't look anorexic or i remember specifically one guy stopping me in the street and sort of saying you know oh like mate i saw your show and it really stuck with me which is really lovely but I just happened to be eating an apple at that time and oh eating an apple and then I was like oh god I look like a fraud and and again it became this identity label and I was like well look I've just got to be if I'm going to talk about this I've got to be the best at this and it it really (laughs) exasperated it.
0: So uh, this reminds me to ask you uh, the next question. Uh, I remember on stage you mentioned uh, after um, one Edinburgh show, a reviewer came to you, question uh, you, uh, your credibility uh, in the eating disorder, and that uh, sent you to uh, like a down, uh, downward yeah. spiral. Uh, do you want to uh, talk a little bit about this?
1: Oh, absolutely. It was that year that I was really struggling and I was with Robin, who I mentioned earlier, Robin Perkins, in the loft bar in the Gilded Balloon and we were standing in the little conservatory area. And I'll never forget, I was talking to a reviewer who I'd got to know then and who being a young, naive kind of former... Um, it was sort of yeah, just sort of start out, and it was my first full run, and I was like, oh my god, I'm talking with this person who writes for this thing that is so, and and she's been on telly and all this, and she'd taken a, well, this person had taken a, a seeming sort of interest. She, they'd lived down the road from my house, and I used to see her when I went, and I I gave her a flyer, and she was like, oh, I want to come and see your show, and this person does uh, charitable work in Africa, which is is incredible. But that person then turned around and said, you know what, they don't have uh, anorexia in Africa, which subsequently they they absolutely do. Uh, And this person went on then to say, you know, I I think it's actually, uh just because you want to feel special this is just a way for you to try and uh sort of create a problem because you are a white middle-class man who has got loads of privilege so you're just creating something in order to moan about and i don't say this in the show but the, the, the genuine truth of the matter this is honestly true i remember it was it stung me so much and it was so personal and i had that bit you know and you can feel the blood pulsing in your head and and i was like i was such a i wasn't even angry i don't know what you would describe it as i was so i felt so personally attacked it was everything that i'd worried everyone would ever think about it and especially as this person was saying it has a long history of eating disorders themselves so i was kind of like where is this coming from this is really bizarre to go from a really nice conversation to being so attacked by this what's going on and and as i stood there kind of rooted to the spot, all of a sudden al murray came around and just hugged her and picked this person that i'd been speaking to up and then I think it might have been John Bishop as well was there in this conversation and and it was like such a surreal experience can you know what Edinburgh's like can you know what those VIP bars are like of like everyone's trying to impress other people and I I just remembered like seeing these two people that have grown up watching on telly and and I was still so kind of not in my right headspace from what was going on and i i just said to robin that like, i gotta get out of here because i i was like normally i'd be like oh my god i want to speak to these people but I, it really stuck me and it was one of the kind of primary factors in order to enable me to move towards that route of relapsing mm-hmm.
0: and uh how, how long the relapse uh, happened
1: I think like again because it's not um it's very sort of woolly but i I was very openly relapsing for a good couple of years um and then and I, i i remember uh it might have been that evening going home and buying like very unhealthy methods in order to uh sort of make me lose more weight but also to uh, i don't want to give any tips out but um anorexia can kill you in a number of different ways and one of the worst ways is like um uh organ failure uh and i have quite a high um uh, correlation of like heart disease in my family so I started taking things in order so that heart failure is quite common with anorexia as well so that I would die by a heart attack or heart failure rather than like kidney or liver function I started buying those things in order to sort of like harm my heart so that, that would uh, sort of like kill me first before like kidney uh, sort of loss and stuff like that um, and 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 th- I'm fairly sure it was like that day or maybe the day after and i remember they arrived and the people that i was living with then who actually no longer do comedy uh sort of said it like what the fuck are you doing like you bought the- this is really dangerous and again i was like i, I know it's dangerous wow and uh,
0: uh i'm so sorry for this um oh. and and I want to ask you, how how did you, do, do you identify uh, uh, the eating disorder is already in the past or is something you are actually battling with?
1: You know what, I think it's a really good question and I'm always really careful with that because especially with lockdown, I think it really exacerbated a lot of my problems with food and uh, not now, but a good couple of weeks ago, I was in quite a, not a bad way with food at all, but like started to feel a lot of those things again. So a, a really nice way that I've heard someone describe it before that I really loved it. Someone said, um, I've retired from it which I thought was a really beautiful way of putting it, of like, it's always going to be there and you're always going to have the knowledge and stuff. But, you know, you might do the answer, but it's not something I'd go back to. And I also think I've had so much incredible help and support and more than anything, uh, a help to understand the underpinnings of it all that I I honestly don't think that it's something that I'm uh, particularly in danger of, of going back to um but it is something that will always be there it's something that i kind of feel nearer to or further away from perhaps um you know like people have ibs flare-ups perhaps it's something you know a similar kind of thing there of like sometimes i'll have a flare-up of like oh that's not a good way to see food or to see exercise or to understand your body um and and yeah i i think it's something I've, I've always got to keep on top of
0: yeah uh i i think retired from this condition is a very good expression uh for me i battle with depression and uh, i i would say i'm no longer actively depressed but it's uh, something i i need to always have an eye for uh but once or while I would have a glimpse of what's it like, and it just kick back a little bit, uh. But because course I have all the uh, like uh, tools and all those uh, um counter measures. Uh. So when it comes back, I I make sure it will. It's only like one day or two days. Um. So for you, when when some uh, uh, does the eating disorder come back once a while? And when that happens, what uh, do you do?
1: You know what, I, I'm very jealous of that. And I think it's a really good question because I think fundamentally for me, one of the problems with mental health is it's it's very rarely something like IBS that starts. It's, it's not like heartburn or a headache. It's something that actually starts to go on over time and i would like to say that i have all of my red flags i would like to say i know that when this this and this happens i'm i'm in the the sort of yellow zone and i need to shift back towards green but being completely honest and authentic i i don't have that and it's something that i am focusing on and it's something that i need to improve on i certainly know that there are things like um irritability and getting grumpy and getting quite angry that's normally a sign that things aren't right perhaps sleeping more certainly being more distracted and also um starting to kind of put things off and constantly uh, what's the word where you um you, you you yeah you put things off what's it called um, oh, cra- procrastination <laughs> procrastination that's right when i'm procrastinating
0: oh what's i this? just told the british people english one <laughs>
1: Oh my god! I'm so proud. <laughs> there you go. That's on the poster next year. Yeah. That's great. I don't I think there's so many of those little warning signs, but I, I think um, I don't. I, I honestly don't have a hard and fast rule, and I, I, I don't know. Maybe I, I am in the minority there, but I think for a lot of people mental health is something that always ticks along in the background and i think it's something i always want to continue to get better at but in the same way with physical health i think very few people realize that they're out of shape there'll be one or two things of like you run for a bus or something and you're like oh jesus i'm out of shape um but i don't think there is any short term like if you were out of shape running for the bus it's not like you can go home drink a power shake bam you're svelte you're fine you're good it, it takes time, and it's kind of gradually trying to move in that right direction.
0: Uh, and uh, I, uh, I heard, uh, I'm aware that you have a book about uh, your journey of uh, eating disorder. Uh, what's the name of the book? And uh, if uh, my audience is interested, uh, how can I find the book?
1: Well, thank you for asking. I mean, I originally, because the book was about anorexia, I originally wanted to call it The Real Hunger Games, because I thought that was a a good title i wasn't allowed to i wasn't allowed to use that so it's called weight expectations and you can get it on amazon or different bookshops and the the book is broke down it's meant to be fun it's meant to be whimsy uh, but it uses like this psychological theory of change called the transtheoretical model so it could be used for people who don't even have eating disorders but just want to change whether that is uh, quitting smoking whether that is getting a little bit healthier. It kind of uses a research background in order to apply that to people's everyday lives.
0: Oh, cool. Uh, so, uh, one last question. Uh, for me, comedy helped me a lot uh, because uh, I, I live in a society where everyone pretends they're perfect uh, and then uh, under the perfect outlook, everyone else feels so in insecure that uh, everyone else is perfect. So for me, I permanently feel isolated and uh, ashamed of how I feel I have been through until I I, I started to get to know stand up comedy. There were a few comedians, they really turned their struggle, their pain, their depression into really, really great uh, comedy. uh, And that inspired me a lot. Um, because in their comedy is so real, like uh, the the struggles they have been through, but the ability they can make it funny, it's really mind-blowing for me. Uh, And uh, every time mm, when I feel down or when I feel uh, lost a little bit of hope, I would watch those. Uh, So in your case, do you know or do you recommend uh, one or two like uh, comedy shows which talk about uh, the issue uh, you were facing?
1: great i mean it's a great question i think in terms of actually talking about eating disorders and dealing with that i don't think i have a specific comedy show although i will say that my i do have certain things that i listen to when i'm on particularly a down day or will watch, and Mrs Doubtfire by far and away is always my go-to pick-me-up film. I love it for so many different reasons, not only is it bulletproof funny, not only is it got an incredible cast and amazing acting by a beautiful Robin Williams, but I also think one of the things that I really like about Mrs Doubtfire is it was made in 1993 which was a time when a lot of the disney-esque endings ha- you know is a happily ever after but actually at the end of the film it's really it's actually really dark like the the mum and the dad don't get together the, the the family does break up there's so many unanswered questions and i think actually that always really stuck with me as a kid Of like that seemed really authentic and honest yeah. so although that's not stand-up and there are some brilliant stand-ups out there that are doing amazing things with mental health such as the the brilliant joe wells uh such as chelsea uh Birkby, such as uh, harriet dyer susan kalman sophie hagen felicity ward Money zhang i mean there's loads of people but um i i think it would be mrs doubtfire for me
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, um, do you have, uh, besides your book, uh, do you have another go-to book that helped you with your uh, mental health to recommend to my
1: audience? Uh, in, in terms of like books for mental health, um, I think I really find uh, the Harvard Business Review did a whole series on things like resilience and confidence, etc. I think that's really, really useful. Um, but I think on a more down to earth level, my favorite book of all time is Danny Wallace's Yes Man. And I think I that really helped me when I was a teenager because the idea of growing up felt so intimidating. It felt like everyone had been in ma- given a manual for life and I was the only one that had missed out. I might've been taking a whiz while they'd given it. And, and I was like, oh, I'm not equipped. Whereas Yes Man is just this perfect example of like living life to the full, but in a very kind of down-to-earth, you-can-do-it-yourself way. Um, so I think that would be my recommendation for that.
0: Cool, thank you so much. Uh, I have one last question, I promise. Uh, so uh, not necessarily mental health uh, recommended, uh, but as a, uh, as a person who do comedy full-time, uh uh, if you you need to recommend one or two uh your favorite uh, comedy special which we can easily find on netflix or youtube or other platform uh so we which are your go-tos
1: that is an incredibly mean question money i i think that is unbelievably difficult
0: okay uh, okay but but you, you cannot recommend anyone you know personally Is
1: that, I think it's, uh, more friendly yeah yeah no no i th- I think it's a i think it's a, a great question i think it, it's from a comedian but it's not comedy stuart lee has a brilliant talk online and it's called stuart lee on not writing so if anyone's listening to this who is a comedian and is struggling with writer's block or whatever, I would absolutely implore you, Stuart Lee, on um, on not writing. I think that... So it's that a book? It, it, no, it's a YouTube. Okay. It's on YouTube and it's absolutely brilliant. Um, and then I would say in terms of just comedians, for me, I, I love Robin Williams and I think he was brilliant but I think he would be shortly pipped to the post by the ineffable incredible Eddie Azard, and any Eddie Azard show I think what he was doing was genuinely so groundbreaking I still watch it now and I'm like I find that mad so I think Eddie Azard is always great
0: okay cool Uh, I always like a comedian's recommendation because for me I only knew the art form uh, two weeks before I started to do comedy so <laughs> I, I was uh, like very uneducated so I'm <laughs> very very happy for other people's recommendation to educate me more and more and uh, uh, Dave I'm so happy to, to have you and so happy finally we have this chat Uh, and uh, I definitely check out the resource you recommend uh, and uh, i can't i really cannot wait uh, for edinburgh uh, 2023 and uh, to and see Brian. what it uh, brings to us cool so then uh, we are seeing each other in brighton uh, in yeah. may and definitely the whole month uh, we are rock edinburgh
1: can't wait thank you so much Ad. i really appreciate that
0: Thank you very much. Have a good day and stay healthy.
1: You too. Take care.
0: Bye. Bye.